Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Let me come behind some of what Tracy just said and some of what uh, Ms. Taylor just did. Uh, first of all, we love Ms. Taylor. Uh, she, is, she is a warrior <laughs> advocate for those little kids, can you tell? Wouldn't you, and some of you who have kids who go to Terrytown can attest to this, but um, isn't that the kind of person you want to have influence in your kids? Am I right about that? She is awesome. Um, let me just be crystal clear about what just happened in this room. A representative from the school system in this county, a principal in a school that we could almost throw a rock and hit, just stood on this stage through tears and begged for your help in a church. Just think about it. There are churches all around the world today that would kill for that opportunity. There are churches that, that if we told them what had just happened, a principal from one of the school system, from one of the schools, just came and through tears, shared scripture with us, begged through tears for us to come help mentor the kids in her school, they wouldn't believe it. It just happened in front of your very eyes, and they need help. Now, here's the, here's the really beautiful part. I have a really good friend that comes to the first service. He and I have grown really close over the last couple of years, and he left and he, and after the first service, and he said, Brett, he, this, guy, this guy works in Chicago. He's not even here through the week, and he's trying to figure out how he can help with the whole mentoring thing. He said, I can't, I can't be there. I can't go to the school. I'm, I'm in Chicago. He said, but do they need any money? <laughs> Listen, you know, some things, if you can't do them, you just can't do them, right? I mean, it's just certain things. Some of you in this room would love to get involved with Kids Hope, and your schedule simply will not permit it. But there are some of you who can. Your schedule would permit it. You, you're, you're able-bodied. It's just a matter of going out there and putting your name on a list, getting a little bit of training, going over to the school, having a day or two where it's a little uncomfortable, where you don't really know what you're doing, and then after that, man, you're just flying. And I'm telling you, I've been a Kids Hope mentor. I'm going to be a Kids Hope mentor again. There's a little guy over there waiting on me to meet me uh, pretty soon. And um, I, I had one little guy. I met him when he was in the first grade. His dad had just committed suicide. And, and as far as I know, for about six and a half years, I'm one of the very few steady male influences this kid had in his life. And I... I mean, he, I love him. I love him. So you, you just, if there's any part of you that's thinking, you know, I probably should do that, then you need to get out there as soon as church is over, put your name on the list, get a little bit of training, and help these kids. Come on, this is an easy thing. This is, this is what we call slam dunk, okay? So we need to do that. Now let me just support uh, um, small groups just real briefly. If you've never been a part of a small group, we invite you to do that. They always start in the fall. Our small groups are kind of different. And the thing that I would say to you is that small groups, the one thing that they afford you that, that you're really looking for in a church, it's great that you can study and it's great that you can do a lot of things, but you think about your life and you think about the things that have changed your life. Maybe you watched a television program and it taught you something. Maybe you've read a book and it was you know impacting in your life somehow. But generally speaking, the things that have changed your life have happened through a relationship. 
Generally speaking, the things that have changed your life is some relationship with a person that you rubbed up against and some of their influence got to you, taught you something, changed the way you look at the world, brought you new habits, challenged you in new ways. That's what small group does. Small group is a chance for you to get in with a group, to, to really connect, really grow, really come to, to have a deep personal relationship with some new people that maybe you've never met before. We have great dreams for our small group ministry. You know, we, our church is growing. We have lots of people in here this morning, had lots of people in, this, in the first service. And most preachers I know, and myself included, we all, preachers love full houses, okay? Preachers love it when the buildings are full, and that's great, and we love big numbers, and that's wonderful. But the, the number that means the most to us, really, honestly, is how many people are in our small groups, because that's where life change is happening. That's where people are connecting. That's where people are really getting a lift from going to church. As our church gets bigger, how, how many of you, just play a little game, how many of you have said what my mother used to say as my home church grew and grew and grew? How many of you catch yourself saying once in a while, you know, I don't hardly know anybody at church anymore. You ever feel that way? You ever look around, it's like, I don't know half these people. Well, that's because our church is getting bigger. And so the way you kind of combat that, people say, I don't want to go to a big church. Get involved in a small group. It gets really small, really personal. You'll like it, trust me. Um, I could go on and on about small group, but we're going we're gonna to get going here. I want to come behind what Miss Taylor said this morning with some remarks uh, about a particular story that happens in the New Testament. It's one of my favorite stories. And if you want to turn to John chapter 13, I'm not really going to do an expository thing like I normally do on a Sunday morning. Uh, and like I said, I'm not going to go a real long time today. But I, I just have a couple of remarks uh, along the lines of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's this story that happens in, in the Bible in John chapter 13. And I want to start with these couple of verses. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now that is a key phrase. He now showed them the full extent of his love. He's about to wash their feet. And the Bible says that is him showing the full extent of his love. Let's just think about what happened. You have these men who are showing up to have this dinner with the Lord. And one by one, they come into the room. The thing that's missing at this particular gathering is something that would have been a part of every gathering. If you were going to have people come together for a meal, you would never, ever, ever not have this. There, were always, there was always someone at the door to meet you, to wash your feet. You would sit down, you would have your feet washed. Um, because here, here's the problem, and I don't know how many people realize this, um, you know the picture that you see of the, of the Last Supper where they're all on one side of the table, which has never made sense to me. They're all on one side of the table. Um, that picture is very misleading because it leads people to think that when they had their dinner with the Lord, they sat at a, in a chair like you and I would sit at a chair and would eat their dinner with a table proper like we would, right? And that's how you typically think of someone having dinner. But in fact, when when they would have dinner, what happened is they would literally get down on the floor and they would, they would prop themselves up on one elbow. If you've, if you've ever watched a movie and scoop popcorn into your mouth, then you're familiar with that particular posture, right? We've all done that. That's how they ate. And so you can see that if my feet are here and my head is here and the next person's feet are going to be here and someone else's head is going to be there, that's not real good. 
because there's a whole toe cheese thing that happens. And it's just got that funk. It's just kind of nasty. And it just ruins the meal, pretty much. So what they had at every place when you would walk in for dinner, they would have a, a servant. And that servant's responsibility, and this was the lowest job in the whole, you know, in the whole household, was to be the foot washer. But there would be a person who ensured that everyone's feet had been washed. I mean, the streets were dusty. These guys are wearing sandals. I mean, it could be pretty nasty if there's nobody there to wash feet. So Jesus watches all these guys come walking in. One by one, these guys walk in. Keep in mind, they followed Jesus for three years. This is toward the end of his ministry. This is toward the end of it all. One by one, they're walking in. No one is getting their feet washed. Keep in mind also that one of the men who walked in, this always fascinates me when I think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Judas was in the room. Let me say that again. Judas was in the room. And Judas got his feet washed by the master just like everybody else did. But as they walked in, and nobody decided that they were going to be the one that would wash feet. Obviously, I mean, we know, we learn later in the story that there's a basin of water in there. But no one thought to themselves, hey, I'll take it upon myself. I'll wash the feet. So Jesus lets them all come in. They, they prepare to, to eat the meal. And the Bible says that Jesus rose from dinner and he took off his outer garment, which is kind of like his coat. It was an outer wrap that they wore. And he, he laid that aside and he wrapped himself with a towel, and then he grabbed a basin of water. Now, I don't know exactly how they washed feet in the first century. I don't know whether they put the whole foot in the pail and washed it that way or poured water over it and caught it in the basin. I'm not really sure how they did it. But if you use what my professor in college used to call your sanctified imaginator, and you just kind of put yourself in the room as you watch Jesus kneel to the floor in front of these men with their dirty, nasty, smelly feet and one by one start to wash their feet. Can you imagine being the first guy? Can you imagine being the first guy who's there and the Lord approaches you and you, you can tell what he's about to do and you realize, oh, no. At that point, maybe you would think, I wish, I wish I had thought to myself to do that. He's the last person in the room who should be washing my feet. I can't believe this is going to happen. But Jesus, one by one, went to every one of those men and washed their feet. He came to Peter, and Peter had some problems. As you know, Peter didn't want to have his feet washed. And Jesus gave him a lesson, and, and then Jesus, you know, it was just, uh, he just went down the line. What Jesus was saying to his disciples is, I'm calling you to lower yourself in every situation. And the motivator for this, keep in mind, as we just read, was love. That's what motivated Jesus. He loved these men. He loved his disciples. Being served is fun. We love being served, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, chances are good that you probably are going to maybe go to dinner after church today. And you're going to go into a place where you sit down and there, there might be a servant who's going to serve you dinner today. We love to be served. We love going into the restaurants and and chances are pretty good that your favorite restaurant, your favorite place to shop is your favorite place because the service is really good. 
Chances are good that, that your favorite restaurant is a restaurant that not only has good food, but is a place that takes really good care of you. And if your restaurant is a place that can remember your name and has a special table for you and just kind of gives you the little extras and maybe there's a server there that, that just, you know, you've formed a relationship with and they kind of take extra special care, chances are good that if you have a favorite restaurant place, it's, fav it's your favorite because of the service that happens. The chances are good that you shop at certain stores because when you've got a return, they're good with you about taking things back and you get good service at that store. Chances are really good that if you've ever had someone be rude to you in a store or rude to you in a restaurant, you don't go back to that place. These, these are your favorites because service is very important to us. And, and when we go to restaurants, we, we go in, we expect to be taken care of. We're not thinking about looking after somebody else, are we? We're, looking at, we're thinking about them looking after us and our needs. If you, um, if you know me well, you know that I have a very good friend. He's one of the dearest friends that I have. His name is Michael. And um, Michael calls me the golden boy. He calls me GB for short. Um, I'm not the golden boy, but he makes fun of me, and that's how, one of the ways he makes fun of me, by calling me the golden boy. And I'm going to tell you a story that kind of illustrates that whole thing. We, we used to go to a thing called the National Youth Workers Convention together, and um, it traveled around, went to different parts of the country. This particular year, it was in Nashville, and this was about 12 years ago. And I'm sitting in Nashville. We, we decided we were going to go to dinner that night. There was, a, there was a, a, a session that night, and we looked at who it was, and we thought, you know, we're just going to blow that off. We're just going to go get a nice dinner tonight. So um, everybody else went to the session. They were all spiritual, and Michael and I were not spiritual, and we went to get we listened to our tummies instead of to the, to the speaker that night. But um, we went to Jack's Barbecue, which is on 2nd Avenue in Nashville. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a great place for barbecue and pulled pork, and it's, it's wonderful. So we, we go in, and it's, it's, it's as sparsely populated as I can ever remember. I've been in there several times. I never remember it being. It was just us and this other guy across the way who was in a wheelchair, and he was eating by himself. And so... Um, you know, we got our dinner and we sat down. He'd already been seated and was in the middle of his meal. And I just took note of him, and he he didn't act like he was all that happy. Um, he 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 just he just didn't have a smile on his face. He didn't um, he just didn't really look like he was enjoying himself. And and it was bugging me. And and he was on my mind. And so Michael and I are there talking, and we're cutting up and laughing. And there's part of me that's feeling guilty because I've got a friend and I'm eating with a friend, and we're laughing and. This guy is over there, and I can see him, and he's, he's, you know, he's not really paying any attention to us, but he's on my mind. And so Michael is able to, um, with, with one word or one sentence, can make me laugh. We were just together about three weeks ago at the Leadership Summit, and he made me, with one sentence, blow Coke right out of my nose, okay? So, so um, I mean, it went everywhere. It was awful. So that, that's what the kind of impact and influence that this guy has on me when we're together. So we're cutting up, and we're having a great time. And then this guy finishes his meal, and he starts to head for the door, and he's wheeling himself to the door. Well, Golden Boy's not going to let that happen without some assistance. So I jump to my feet, and, and I go over to try and, and help this guy get out the door because I can look at what's coming, and I can just tell it, this is not going to be easy for him. So I'm up, and I'm making my way, and he said, I've got it. Well, that doesn't deter the golden boy. The golden boy kept going toward the door and reached for the door, and he said, I've got it. 
I should have known at that point that he had it and I just needed to leave him alone, but I didn't. And he was going to struggle. I mean, there's no way he had it. He didn't have it. But so I grabbed the door and I pulled it back and he finally fought his way through the door and he was cussing at me and just not happy. He, he didn't want me around. He didn't want my help. He, uh, but I was bound and determined I was going to help that guy. And I turned around and Michael is looking at me. He said, I saw it coming. I could just tell. He said, I because I was dumbfounded that the guy had cussed me out because I was trying to help him. And Michael said, Brett, you know, bless your heart. You know, you wanted to help him. And, and you, he said, that's just your nature and that's the way you are. But he said, that guy obviously did not want your help. He was just laughing at me. Now, I, would, I wish that I could tell you that that's the way I am all the time. That's not the way I am all the time. That was one time I got it right. There are a lot of times I get it wrong and I think, what God would say is, Brett, that's the way I want you to be all the time. All the time. I want you to serve all the time. I want you, every time you see a need, I want you to meet the need. Every time you see that you could spring into action and do something, I want you to do that. I don't, I don't ever want you to miss a beat. I, don't, I, I just want you, I want you all the time to be that way. Jesus would say, if, if I could stoop to foot washing level, then you can serve too. He now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus said, the reason I serve is because I love. Listen to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 1, uh, 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He would say to you, he would say to me, I need you to love for me. There's a pastor in uh, Phoenix, Arizona named Tommy Barnett. He has a big church out there, big church called Phoenix First. And, uh, you know, typically you don't get to be big churches unless you're taking care of people the right way. And um, this church does a phenomenal job of meeting the needs of people. They do some really incredible things. And uh, Mr. Smith has, is fond of saying what we do, basically serving people comes down to two sentences. First of all, he says, find a need and fill it. Find a need and fill it. When you're moving through your day, when you see a need, it's your responsibility and God has put you in that place to meet that need. If you're seeing it, there's probably a pretty good reason why you're seeing it. If you're seeing a need, God has probably put that in front of you to say, hey, here's an opportunity for you to serve. Find a need and fill it. Second thing I'd say is this, find a hurt and heal it. That's what Tommy tells his, his congregation. Find a hurt and heal it. Trust me, I've been doing this for a while. And hurt people are not hard to find. In fact, I would tell you this. Um, some of the people that you shook hands with this morning and smiled and you shook their hand and things looked great, behind the eyes, things aren't so great. Behind the eyes, uh, there might be some real hurt. There might be some real need. And it, it falls to us sometimes to maybe press, to dig a little deeper, to look a little further, to listen a little harder. And just make sure that we're not missing a hurt that maybe we could help to heal. There are people that are listening to the sound of my voice right now who are smiling on the outside and on the inside are just saying, oh, that's neat. That's neat. There's something on their mind. There's something on their heart. They've gotten bad news. They're fretting about something. They've got a relationship that's not right. Something in their world is just not so. And it's so easy to see people and just move past. And I'm guilty. We're all guilty of this. To just move on past. Find a hurt and heal it, and you don't have to look very far. Listen to what Isaiah said. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me 
Because the Lord has anointed me. Here's what I would tell you this morning. The Lord wants to anoint you to meet needs. The Lord wants to move you to a place where you meet needs. Listen to some of these needs that get met. The Lord has uh, anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God wants to use you. God wants to anoint you to do special things on his behalf. At the end of this passage where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, it says this in verse 16. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 15 and 16. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It amazes me what we do to find happiness. We spend money like crazy. We buy shiny things, and we think it's going to make us happy. We get into relationships, and we expect that to make us happy. Here's, a, here's just a life principle for you, okay? This is free of charge advice. Don't say I didn't give you anything. It is not another person's responsibility to make you happy. Don't, don't wait on another person to make you happy. You, want, you know what's going to make you happy. We've talked about this in here before. Happiness is very, very circumstantial. If you won the lottery today, you'd be very happy. But it's circumstantial. You know, something good happens. If your team wins, you're happy. But when your team loses, that all goes away. You're looking for something deeper than happiness. You're looking for joy. That's what you're looking for. You will find joy when you serve. You will find joy when you do something for somebody else. I, I have um, opportunities uh, from time to time to uh, do some counseling. And, and sometimes the counseling I get, I find myself involved in is over my head. When I run into depression that is um, greater than me and I can recognize it, I'm quick to send them to someone else who's a professional who can help. But once in a while, I will run into someone who has what I would call a light depression. And my advice to them oftentimes before they leave my office is this. Go find someone and do something for them. Go serve somebody. That's why I ask me, Brett, why, why is that important? Well, it's important because, A, you're getting your mind off yourself. You're not thinking about you anymore, and you're not thinking about your problems. You're thinking about somebody else, and that's always a good thing. But, but on top of that, when you do something good for somebody else, it makes you happy. It makes you full of joy. Newsweek did a study. They were looking for the happiest people on the planet. You know what they figured out? They figured out that the happiest people on the planet are people of faith, specifically people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ who actively live out their faith. Those were the happiest people on earth because they were serving, because they were taking what they were learning, they were taking what was going on in their world, and they were helping somebody else with it. There's a, a church in the South. It's a pretty good-sized church. And they have um, people that park cars. They have a parking lot where they've got people out there directing traffic, and they have a big usher system. They've got all kinds of stuff going on. They, have, they call that team the dream team. You know what the motto is of their dream team? I guess they have shirts with this printed on it. I was made for this. 
I was made for this. There are certain people that don't feel like they could preach sermons. Maybe God's not calling you to preach sermons. But, but you know, there's, that if there's something around here that you could do. we got people that, that mow our grass that they probably would never think about themselves preaching a sermon, but, man, they can mow grass, and they're faithful, and they do it. We have people that, that, that come work on stuff around here. They, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they would say, well, I can't do that, I can't do this, but I, I know how to do This is my passion, this is my thing, and I'm good at it. And I, I want to give this to God. I want to serve. I want to be involved. And I want to do so. It makes me happy. It brings me joy when I'm involved in that way. Two things I want you to do today. Two things I want you to do today. Uh, first of all, serve with the gifts and passions that you have been given. You may not believe that, but you have been given a specific gift from God to be used in service for Him. Um, I, I want to make this clear. I don't ever want to have to talk you into something. Okay, If I've got to talk you into a specific ministry, it's, it's not worth it. If I have to talk you into it, you probably wouldn't be any good at it. But if when Miss Taylor was talking to you and you thought to yourself, man, I love little kids and I can't stand the thought of a little kid not having a buddy, then God's talking to you. And you better be seriously praying and thinking about whether or not you're going to be a mentor. Maybe there's something else that you see that needs to be done and it falls right in line with your gifting and you think to yourself, man, that's just, that's right up my alley. You better be thinking about it. We don't ever want to strong arm somebody. Don't want to twist your arm. I heard the story of a preacher. They were, they were about our size. It was a church that's, uh, small enough that you could pretty much tell when the new family had showed up. We, we're, we're getting there where we don't always recognize that, but most of the time we can kind of tell that we've got a new family kind of coming. And this guy was out in public and he saw the wife of this family out in public at the store. And he made eye contact with her and he started to walk in her direction and she turned and went the other way. It took him back a minute. He said, well, I, you know, I thought we'd made eye contact. She's not avoiding me, is she? So later in the week, he saw her again, and he said, this time I made absolutely sure to make eye contact with her, and I made sure that we did, and he said, when we did, I started to make my way in her direction. And he said, no sooner had I taken a step, she turned on her heels and she went the other way. And he thought, I'm going to track her down. <laughs> so, so he did. He chased her down into, into the, wherever they were, out in public somewhere. And he came up and she said, oh, hi, Pastor. And he said, are you avoiding me? She said, yes, I am. She said, she said, okay, you got me. You got me. She said, I'll do it. He said, do what? She said, I know how this works. I've got four kids. I'll work in the nursery. I'll, she said, I know how it works. I, you know, she said, I just came from a church where I worked in the nursery all the time. They wore me out working in the nursery. She said, I just thought I could come to your church and maybe not have to work in the nursery, at least for a little while. But she said, you finally caught me in. I guess I'm just going to have to work in the nursery. He said, ma'am, we don't even want you in our nursery. <laughs> See, if he's got a twister arm to make her do it, we don't want people. We, look, if we've got to twist your arm to go mess around with our babies in the nursery, that's the last person we want in the nursery. I guarantee you if we walked in the nursery right now and talked to someone with a baby in their arms, you know what they're going to tell me? Two things. They're going to tell me two things. First of all, I love babies. The second thing they're going to tell you is, when I sit here and hold this baby, I am assured that this kid's parents are in that room learning about Jesus, and that fuels me, and that matters to me, and I have a service and something that God calls me to do, and I was made for this. That's what we'd find out. We'd go into Ryan's 
youth ministry and talk to the people who are working with his youth ministry kids and ask them, why are you doing this? And they'd say, I was made for this. I love these kids. I love being involved with them. Whatever it is that is your passion, that is your thing that God has given you and said, hey, you're good at this. We probably can use it. If you're good with computers, we probably could use you. If you're good in music, we probably could use you. There's a place for you here. But beyond here even, just go into the world and look for your place to use your gifts and your passions in service to God. Listen to what Helen Keller said. Keep in mind she's a blind woman. I'm only one, but still I am one. I, ca I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Second thing I want you to do, serve someone now. Before you leave today, serve someone. On your way home, drive your car with an attitude of serving someone. Let someone go in front of you. Let someone cut you off and not yell bad words at them, okay? Let, let someone cut you off and not get mad about it. Serve someone today. Probably many of you are going to go to a restaurant today. Go into the restaurant today not thinking about you being served. Go into the restaurant today thinking about who you can serve. Can I just challenge you today? Every one of us that goes to a restaurant today, tip big today. Tip big today. When you leave, have the... I heard about a church that, that they, the pastor encourages them to go in and tip big, and when they do, they leave these little cards that tell us what church they're from. And the, the, uh, the waiters and waitresses, they collect those cards, like, like, um, like baseball cards almost. They said, we love your church. Can you imagine if, if when we adjourned and started going to the restaurants that we had waiters and waitresses think, man, I hope the Cross Lane people come to our place. Don't go into a restaurant today expecting great service. Go into a restaurant today expecting to serve someone. Look for someone who's hurt. Look for someone who needs encouragement. Listen. Pay attention to what's going on around you. And when you've had a good meal, tip big. Maybe they didn't even deserve it. Tip big today. Serve somebody else. Don't, serve someone today. When you go home, serve. When you go to work in the morning, serve. If your boss is a jerk and you can't stand him, serve him in the morning. Or her. You kids, when you go to school, that little kid that nobody else talks to, that nobody else wants to be around, the little kid that, that, that maybe is a little uh, different, that, that's, you know, you might even get laughed at if you hung out with, serve that kid. A kid needs to be served. And Jesus says, you are my hands and feet. Mother Teresa said, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. I had a, an experience um, I want to share with you, and then I'll close. I, I don't typically like to talk to the press. I mean, I, I just, you know, I get call, we get calls once in a while, and, and uh, a reporter will want to do an interview, and I just would soon not do that. Um, and so this girl called one time, and she, she was doing this story. She asked if she could interview me, and she sounded a little frazzled, and I said, well, I don't want to, I'd rather not. And she, and she you could just tell the response that she gave me was, oh, like, what am I going to do? And she said, I've got to get this story in, and if I don't get this done, she said, I've, she said, no one will talk to me. So I said, okay, I don't have a lot of time, but I said, come on up, and, and I, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an interview. So she came up, and she brought a cameraman who is here today, and um, 
is a part of our church as a result of that encounter, really, which is a, a whole other story. He's a good friend of mine. And, and uh, so we, we did this, this interview, and this was her question to me. There was a, a, a movie being shown in town at one of the theaters. And apparently it wasn't a very good movie, and it had some really bad things in it that we wouldn't want kids to see. And there was rumors of a picket that was going to happen. And she wanted to know what my opinion was and whether or not I would be leading our church to get involved in this uh, picketing campaign. And I, um, my response to that might surprise you, but I, I think that if you listen to me, you'll understand where I'm coming from. I told her, I said, I will not be organizing our church to get involved in that picket. Because the, the world is very, very acutely aware of what the church is against. In fact, that's all the church knows, is that we're against things. Most people, when they think of the church, they think the church is against them. They think the church is against everything. I'm not interested in communicating to the world anymore that we're against them. How about we communicate that we're for them for a change? I said, if parents want to go down and picket that place, that's fine, and I would support that. But the church isn't going to do it. The church needs to be the place that that encourages people. The church needs to be the place that prays for people. The church needs to be the place that serves people. And can you imagine the difference in the world? Can you imagine the difference in Terre Haute if all the churches in Terre Haute took it upon themselves to stop telling everybody what they're against and started telling people, we're for you. We're for you and we love you and we want to serve you and we want to help you. And yeah, you may not do it exactly the way we want to do it. And yeah, some of the stuff you do may be offensive. But you know what? I'm willing to be offended if it gives me an opportunity to serve you. So today, would we be the church that when we leave here, they don't just know what we're against. They know what we're for, and they know that we're for them. I want to read one last passage of Scripture for you. This is at the end of John 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Grab your towel, grab your basin, and before you leave here today, get ready to serve. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for uh, taking us where we are, giving us a place to belong, giving us a place to serve. Uh, Lord, you took the first step. You made the first move to us. We don't deserve you. We are saved because of your righteousness and your grace. It's not even ours. It's you. you gave it to us. And so, Father, we're humble this morning. We, we aren't anybody, and yet we sometimes can get so puffed up and we can think we're something that we're not and it can keep us from service. I pray, Lord, that we would be humble servants like Jesus who take a towel and a basin and wash the feet of the people around us. Needs are everywhere, God. Help us to respond when we see them. And may you get the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.